Well, hey, cousins, you are listening to Revolutionary Hood Rat with Kim Young of Dope Black Social Worker, and welcome back. Y'all, we have another episode. I know there was not a new episode last week because, well, I just didn't feel like it, which has also had me reflect on this idea that I believe we're going to have to switch to an every other week situation as opposed to a new episode every week because life is happening. The weather is changing. We're getting ready to coast into the holiday season, the end of the year, Capricorn season, season, which ultimately means that Thug ain't really trying to like work too hard. And there's a lot of work, believe it or not, or maybe you do, that goes into producing, recording, editing, and posting a podcast. And so with that being said, if I happen to drop an episode week after week after week, just kind of consider it a little present, a little surprise or whatever. But I think our new cadence and rhythm is going to turn into an every other week situation. And I appreciate y'all for holding me down and sticking with me throughout this and being really receptive and responsive to the different guests that I've had on Revolutionary Hood Red and just listening to episodes when it's just me. Because today, it's just me. There's nobody else. Because there are some things that I just got to get off my chest and let out the clip. And I was like, oh, I can't have no guests. I can't have no guests. I got stuff that I need to talk about. Um, Because I also reminded myself of why I started this podcast in the first place. is because it really felt good in my soul to be able to share um, for whatever purpose that might be for other folks to receive, to learn, to be a part of, to grow with me to correct me when I'm wrong, to learn new things alongside me. And so I'm going to get back to that this episode, which means we're going to jump into some revolutionary news. And so our revolutionary news for the week goes out to all the global cousins across the world who are resisting and fighting for justice in Palestine and Myanmar and Ethiopia, hell, here in the United States, everywhere globally, because we have to continue to remember that none of us are free until all of us are free. And so revolutionary news goes out and support and solidarity goes out to every single person that is resisting and fighting for justice where colonization has touched. Every single person that is resisting and fighting for justice where colonization has touched. Because none of us are free until all of us are free. All of these movements of resistance and fights for justice and liberation, they are all connected. Every single one of them are connected. And so none of us are free until all of us are free. So shout out to all the global cousins who are in this fight for resistance and justice across the world, across the world. And so we're going to jump right on in to our Earth is Ghetto segment for today. And listen, the first place that I think I need to actually start is with this goddamn weather. Because y'all, I have mosquito bites, but it's like a high of 48 degrees outside. And the reason I have mosquito bites is because yesterday it was 83 degrees outside and them hoes woke up and got to biting when I was outside picking up leaves. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? I have mosquito bites, even though the weather, the temperature today is 48 degrees because the temperature yesterday was 83 degrees and I was outside at the end of October picking up leaves in 83 degree weather and them holes woke up and bit my ass. And so the weather just got me in a tizzy. If you're not worried, if you're not concerned, you need to be. 
You need to be. Because Al Gore won't play it when he had his little fit that he had back in the 90s. Al Gore won't play in about this weather shit. The weather was is absolutely nuts. Because now all of a sudden it's winter and the heat is on. But I have mosquito bites. That's wild. Absolutely wild. And I also feel like if I was back home in California, this wouldn't be my situation. But I'm not back home. I'm here. I'm in the South. I love being in the South. I just don't love the mosquitoes that come with the South or the hurricanes or the snow. I'll take me an earthquake any day of the week, any day of the week. Um, Along the lines of being in the South, I do want to take a moment to talk about this casino that is being proposed in my city of Richmond, Virginia in our upcoming election next week. And so if folks are unfamiliar here in Richmond, and I'm going to tell you off top, disclaimer, I'm not well-versed in like the casino referendum, the... I'm just not right, but I have certainly done the learning that I have been able to get exposed to to better understand what is going on with this casino project here in the city of Richmond. And so, where I really want to just offer whatever I can is if we just look at casinos across the country and like the impact that they have on communities. We have no evidence or no evidence that I can find where casinos are just they're good for people and that they're good for communities. And so here in Richmond, the way they're framing this casino and even we actually not even not even to that point yet. Well, you just think about topics like this. You think about a casino. Casinos are divisive in nature. You're going to have folks that are on one side of an issue and folks that are on the other side of an issue. And there's an unwillingness to move either way. You're also going to have people in the middle who don't know which way to go. And what typically happens is the side that is the loudest, and it may not be the side that has the most people supporting any issue, but the side that is the loudest, has the greatest resources, has the most power, has the money, has the visibility, they're the ones who are going to be hurt. And that's just that's how any of these type of situations go. When it's a polarizing situation, you're often going to hear the side that has the most resources, the most power, the most money, and the most visibility, even if they do not have the most people supporting whatever that is. I don't know the poll numbers in Richmond in terms of who's falling on what side, nor will I actually trust any poll numbers because let's never forget that 2016 happened, right? Um but what I will say, getting back to my point, is like there is minimal evidence, if any evidence, that casinos are good for people and that they're good for communities. And so when I've had an opportunity to talk with folks about this casino referendum in Richmond and like even keep in mind, we voted on this previously and it failed. It failed by a small margin, but it failed. And so what we often hear through the advertisements on TV, on the radio, folks who are canvassing, people who are just putting signs up everywhere, working polling stations like the Richmond Grand Casino Resort, they got a budget baby. They got a Beyonce Renaissance budget baby. They is everywhere, everywhere. They got billboards, they got signs, they got canvassers. Hell, they brought the Isley Brothers here for free last uh 
weekend and I was told they was out like passing out chicken plates and shit in different neighborhoods doing cookouts and shit. These people got a budget, baby. You hear me? And so they're the loudest voice in the room. They're the loudest voice in the city right now because their presence, like they are incredibly visible. And so what we're hearing is like, the casino will bring about, you know, tax revenue. It'll create jobs. It'll help fund early childcare education initiatives. And they keep saying like, oh yeah, starting job salaries will be at $55,000 a year. Like all of these things. They keep talking about all of these benefits of a casino. And what I really is just try to encourage people to think about in this particular situation, but I believe like this question can be applied to a lot of these kind of devices, divisive economic development opportunities. Um, is like, are the projected tax revenues, the job creations, the impact on, you know, so economic impact, are they worth the social costs? Right. So, like for this casino, are the projected tax revenues, the job creation, and the economic impact is it worth the social cost of increased economic deprivation financial stress mental health suicidality addiction substance misuse like are all of those things worth the social cost and where i continue to get frustrated because i never feel the need to convince anybody of anything folks are going to have their beliefs on any side of any issue and I have my beliefs on any on the sides of of many issues, and they're very clear. But when I talk to folks, it's never try to, to try to get them to believe what I believe, but to get them to better investigate what it is that they believe. And so, my continued challenge with this casino project here in the city of Richmond is that the conversation is not balanced. It's like whenever it happens publicly, it's always about all of these benefits, which I hear. Right, I hear the the projected, so it's not even guaranteed, but like the projected tax revenue, these jobs that will be created through the construction and then the employment of folks to work at the casino and the hotel and the resort, whatever this big ass plan is. But we don't hear the other side of it. And as somebody who is close, as who has worked proximate to what people would consider like the underbellies of society and has seen the pain and suffering that folks experience because they're kind of pushed to the, the margins of, of a community, it's like, I can't help but think about that when I hear of situations like this casino, right? I, for me, for me, these projected tax revenues, these created jobs, many of them will likely just be jobs and not career pathways, right? Working in hospitality, maintenance, things of that nature. And like this economic impact, they are not worth the social cost for me. Nothing, no economic plan, no issue is ever worth the social cost of what it will do to people and what it will do to communities. And I get that, you know, there are folks who are like, you got to think about the bigger picture. You got to think bigger. You got to think big, bigger. But like, yeah, does that big picture that you're trying to get me to believe, that, does it include the people right now who are suffering and in need right now? And so with the casino project in Richmond, I'm really inter interested to see what's going to happen on election day. And if this referendum would pass, and um, 
And if folks are really, really ready and really kind of putting it there into perspective, because in Virginia, what, since like, what, 2022 or last year, the year before last, there were like five other cities, five, four or five other cities that um, passed casino referendums. So, so they're going to build casinos in those areas. And one is in Portsmouth and one is in Norfolk. And if folks are not familiar with the state of Virginia, that shit is not even too far from Richmond. And I was reading through a report that um, the Federal Reserve here in Richmond had issued about the economic, about about the econ the research around the economic um, possibilities or whatever for casinos, economic impacts for casinos on communities. And one of the things that was mentioned in the report is like the the economic impact decreases based off of the proximity of casinos to one another. And so, I, look, I don't know, but I know. <laughs> I know what side I stand on. I'll forever stand on the side of people because no amount of money is worth the social cost, especially when the money is not invested directly in community to address some of the social issues that have long plagued folks before the casino had well, idea ever got here and will continue to make shit worse um, if it were to pass. And as somebody who works in the mental health, behavioral health field, baby, shit is already bad in terms of folks are not doing well. The things that, you know, individuals in the, that work in this field are dealing with seeing supporting folks journey alongside them it's just shit's just only going to continue to get worse until we really actually start thinking about investing directly into communities and not and not the other way around and not the other way around um yeah so in some lighter news though <laughs> some lighter news um it seems like everybody is catching pregnancy I don't know if y'all are paying attention, but it just really seems like pregnancy is floating around real heavy, real heavy, real, real, real heavy. I thought folks were going to have them little hot girl and hot boy summers, but apparently they were just going to pound town and now they're about to have a whole bunch of winter babies. Everybody is catching pregnancy. I wish y'all the best. Stay healthy, stay blessed, stay warm this winter, um, but stay away from me, okay? Stay away from me because you can't be pregnant and enjoy Issa Rae's new Prosecco. And baby, that's what I plan to do between now and the end of Capricorn season. If y'all did not know, but you should know, one of my favorites, fellow Capricorn, fellow Californian, Issa Rae, dropped that line of Prosecco via Rae. And I have been waiting on that thing for a long, long time. I'm trying to tell y'all, I still remember. I think it was like an episode. It was like after an episode of Insecure, she would do like this wind down. And I'm pretty sure it was after one of them episodes where she talked about working on developing her own Prosecco. And I have been waiting on that thing to drop ever since. And it finally dropped. You know, when it got me some bottles, sent my mama to go get some bottles because it's hard to find that thing right now. If you're looking for it, it is available um, at Target if they got it. Um, everything she does is just so inspirational. 
so inspirational. Like it provides me with a lot of motivation because it's so important to be able to to see it, to believe it, right? And so for me, Issa Rae is a part of the seeing it to believe it that it's possible for me and not creating a Prosecco, not owning a record label in a production company, but whatever my it is, it's possible for me. Um, and so it's just really dope to be able to support a human like Issa Rae doing phenomenal things, building a dope ass team to help her just execute the vision and the dreams that she does have while being responsive to like the shit that brings her joy. Cause it really seems like she don't do nothing she don't want to do. And that's everything, everything that I strive to be. And hopefully I am in this world. I only want to do things I want to do. I don't want to do shit. I don't want to do. I don't want to support things. I don't believe in. I don't want to promote things. I don't believe in. Like, I don't want to say things. I don't believe. I don't want to do shit that I want to, that I do not want to do. And it is, it's just a true inspiration to watch, watch a black woman like her move in this world. And my perception is like, she really is just not doing shit. She does not want to do that does not bring her joy. That does not impact black people in a positive way. That does not create opportunities for our people in a positive way. And yo, she brings me so much joy, which is why my, you know, I've already claimed it. I'm like the Issa Rae of social work. It's just true. It's just true. It is what it is. It is what it is. Um, what else do we have for Earth is Ghetto? Oh, I know what it is. I just had to. It's not really a read per se. And I don't know who this is for. Maybe it'll make it to the audience that it needs to make it to. Maybe it won't. Maybe y'all will listen to this and be like, damn right, you better talk that shit, cousin. Or maybe be like, girl, what is you talking about? But either way, I am growing increasingly concerned about adults and their mismanaged expectations when it comes to young people. And when I say young people, I'm talking about, you know, emerging adults who are probably falling in that 18 to 26 year old space. Um, Like older adults be sounding wild talking about 18 to 26 year olds, like having this false belief that they got this understanding of like these complex social problems and, and issues and that they understand different economic impacts and policies and practices and perceive like all this shit they be sounding wild all while not remembering that young people they're still marinating like a lot of young folks who are probably in their what early 20s them babies don't even remember life before 9-11 like they don't remember life before 9-11. They've likely never been inside of a blockbuster or a Hollywood video. Like they young as shit when you really put it into perspective. And so when they say and do things that are just kind of alarming and even like using Sexy Red, for example, I remember the internet was up in arms because she was talking about, I guess, loving or supporting Trump because Trump Gave the hood stimulus checks. Well, for a lot of people, that was a perception because that fool put his name on the check. It put like from the office of President Donald J. Trump was on the goddamn check. And so for a lot of people using just simple context clues without really understanding the complexities of like the Department of Treasury issuing checks and all that shit. He did give them a check 
And so for her to say what she said, like it is what it is. And so for a lot of adults to have jumped on her and like jump on other young people because they don't have this full like contextual understanding of shit that is happening to them is wild to me because I remember being 24 and 25. I don't know what the fuck was going on like politically at that level. I was out there doing what 24, 25, 23, 21, 22 year olds did. I had some social awareness, but not to the depth that a lot of these adults believe that young people should have. Y'all, they are still marinating. They not even in the pan yet. The pan ain't even hot for them to put it in, put them in the pan yet. They still marinating, figuring out life. And like, at what point, at what point, are we going to decide to not be that generation that screws them over and pushes them away because we're being mean, cruel, and rude as shit and judgmental as hell? The way, the way they can learn, the way they can grow, the way they'll build community and understand, like increase understanding is to bring them closer. But to behave in ways to like push young people further away, it's just stupid. It's just stupid. And so I have said this before and I will continue to say it. Adults are the worst. Like adults really be out here making shit so hard when it does not have to be hard because your expectations are mismanaged. And not just like along with having your along with having mismanaged expectations, like you're projecting your own beliefs, value systems. And even sometimes dreams onto young people when like, let them babies continue to marinate. Let them continue, like life is already hard enough. Why would you want to be one of those adults that makes their life even more difficult because you have an unwillingness to want to understand or be curious about their world? We, there's an unwillingness to want to coach and guide, but yet further push them away because they have this exterior that makes it seem like they don't want to be around adults. Well, shit, sometimes I don't blame them. But truth be told, any and everybody is out here looking for guidance, looking for answers, looking for understanding. And at some point, adults got to decide when they want to stop being shitty and making life harder than it needs to be and be supportive and be curious about someone else's world and viewpoints, perspectives, the way they understand and see things. And if you can't do that for young people, please leave them alone. I will continue to spread that message. If you cannot be curious, if you have an unwillingness to seek to understand if you're going to be harmful and hurtful and judgmental and rude, leave young people alone. And also recognize that they are young. They got a lot of life they still need to figure out. Mistakes they're going to make. And if you can't offer them no grace in making those mistakes, then leave them the hell alone. Leave them alone. Okay. I think that's all I got. <laughs> that's all I got for the Earth is ghetto for the week. I'm trying to tell you, like, people, like the world just been going through it and just been seeing things and hearing things. I'm like, folks, it's just 
folks, I look, I don't have all the answers. I don't want all the answers. I only know what I know. I see the world the way, the way I, you know, from the ways in which I'm able to experience from what I know. Um, and it's just, we really out here making life more difficult than it actually needs to be. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in our good black word, but like we really out here making shit so hard for us and for other people. And I just, I believe, I believe that we can do better because we deserve better. We deserve better, but I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and transition into the stories from the trap for the week. All right, so for the stories from the trap for the week. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I got well, a couple, a couple, let me start here. <laughs> See, I can't even really figure out how I want to talk about this because I just kind of feel indifferent about it all. But it's 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 cool at the end of the day, but like I just I feel indifferent about it. So a couple of weeks ago, I attended a ceremony at my at my university at Virginia Commonwealth University where I was recognized as one of the 10 under 10 alumni for 2023 so what that is is um they select 10 alumni that have graduated from Virginia Commonwealth University with their first degree under within 10 years that are just doing things in the world right just out there doing shit in the world and I was recognized as one of those people for 2023. And I had the ceremony was a couple of weeks ago at the university um, where, of course, I was surrounded with love and support by my family, as well as there were some folks from VCU School of Social Work that attended the ceremony. Um, and I think where I don't think I know or believe she let me stop being a therapist to myself for a minute what what I think what I believe I am experiencing is like the indifference because y'all I went through hell I went through hell um in my social work program and just to think about just 10 years post-grad from my grad from my social work program and really reflecting on who I was as a person at that time and the shit that I went through during that time. And then to like receive this recognition from the place where I went through hell, I went through hell and I want to be able to talk about it in a balanced way, because even though I went through hell throughout my graduate program at Virginia Commonwealth university, I've also experienced so much joy and love because I found my my family, right? Like when I first got here to Richmond from San Diego, it was my first time ever being in Virginia, ever being in Richmond, getting off the plane with suitcases and the rest of my stuff was arriving via mail. So like, I didn't know a soul and I met people um, and grew my family through, v through attending VCU School of Social Work. So I will never take that away from my time and experience at the university is that like they brought me my forever family like them they've been in my life since 2011 and I went through hell I didn't even recognize how challenging it was for me to go through that graduate program 
and some of the things that I experienced at the hands of like faculty, um, other students. I had good field placements and field supervisors, but when I tell you all, there was one faculty member who really had me questioning if I was capable, if I belonged. And she looked just like me. It was a black woman. It was a black woman and she put me through hell. It was my first year, first semester, was it policy class? I think it was. See, I'm probably blocking that, blocking her out because she really fucked with my mind. Um, it was policy class. It was first semester policy. And I remember like she had us doing this art therapy activity and policy class. Now keep in mind, y'all. I think she had like a PhD in social work. Her master's was like in sociology or some shit like that. But her track wasn't even clinical by any means, nor was this a practice class. It was goddamn policy class. And she had us doing an art therapy project. And I remember like I had just drew whatever little symbols. I forgot what the prompts were. I had drew whatever little symbols other folks in class had done the same. And then she asked us all like to hold uh, hold our pictures up and sh share. But then she decided to analyze back what she believed she saw in the pictures. And I remember her comparing me to another Black student in class saying like, well, this student, this other Black student just seems worldly and cultured and has an understanding of just the global experience and can speak multiple languages, like all this bullshit. And she was pretty much saying that I was a hood rat or something, child. I don't know. I don't know. But like the way she came for me was like, you're everything but that. And it took so long for me to really understand what well, that lady is dealing with some internalized anti-blackness. Like she, she probably don't even like the fact that she show up in the world as melanated as she is and all the shit that she has gone through to be able to excel in her career. And here she go trying to come for me because I'm fully confident in my blackness and I don't have any questions about my black experience. And she really, she really put such a bad taste in my mouth about grad school, about social work, about Virginia Commonwealth University. Y'all, when I tell you, I could write my ass off. I could write my ass off. I can't spell out loud. I still got to, you know, write it down first and then I can read it back. So I can't spell out loud and I still count with my fingers, but baby, I could write my ass off. You're talking like, I'm, you know, I've been in AP and IB English all through high school, tested out of English class when I got to college and undergrad because I, I passed the AP and IB exam. So I was able to jump straight to whatever uh, second or third year English, some shit. Cause I even remember this whole in, uh, and by whole, I mean a professor in undergrad at San Jose State University that whole called me into her office freshman year and questioned me about who wrote a paper. I was like, bitch, I wrote this paper because I could write. Like, what are you talking about? Who wrote this paper? I wrote this paper. Anyways, I could write my ass off. I'm good with words. Never in my life, never in my life had I received a D. I'm not the D type. I'm not the D type. Granted, now, you know, I don't put a lot of weight on grades and all of that. But back then, baby, don't play with me. Don't play with me because... Grad school had this rule, if you get three C's, you out. 
you you get kicked out the program. That lady gave me a deed on a paper. And I remember I had scheduled some time to go talk with her about to try to further understand what can I improve, what needs to change. She had no constructive feedback to provide me. She just said she didn't like it. She didn't like the tone of the paper. Knowing me, it was probably some black shit because, duh, duh. But she didn't like the tone of the paper. She didn't like the reference material that I used in the paper, the articles and shit. I was like, oh, this hoe is crazy, crazy. But shout out to me for being an advocate for myself because I actually went to the dean of the social work program at the time and I told her what was going on. And she listened to me in a way that in reflection has led me to believe I was not the first student to come to her with an issue with that professor. I was not the first student. I can tell by the way she handled me that I was not the first student to come to her with that problem. Um, and the, the short of it is I ended up with a scholarship. They gave me some money from my heartache and pain dealing with that lady. And that lady didn't come back next year. She was gone. She was gone. And I don't think it had, it wasn't just me. Like I said, I think there were other students who were harmed by her behaviors. But when I tell y'all, like, that really fucked me up, if I'm being honest. I'm a first-generation college student, so to already make it through undergrad was a tremendous feat. I moved across the country not knowing a soul by myself to attend grad school. And the first semester of my graduate program... And keep in mind, like, I was excited to be able to have Black professors because, yeah, like, cool, let's let's do this. I'm not expecting nothing, like, grand, but, like, shout out to you for looking like me and you up there teaching. Like, I want to be able to learn from you, hopefully. And so imagine, like, I'm out here in Richmond without knowing people at that time. I'm already a first-gen everything. I'm in grad school got this black woman professor and she's trying to break me. Like that black lady was trying to break me. She didn't. <laughs> she didn't. She didn't. And so like to have that particular experience at Virginia Commonwealth University and then a few weeks ago attend an award ceremony for being recognized as one of the 10 under 10 alumni for 2023. I'm not going to say it's a full circle, but it's like, bitch, yes, been brilliant. Been brilliant. Like, thank you for the recognition. Thank you for seeing me. I was harmed at this institution in the way that I just shared, but also in other ways. And Thank you for acknowledging my brilliance after all this time, even if there's no recognition that the harm occurred, right? Even if there's no conversation or resolution around the harm that I know I experienced at that university, the social work program, and I can only imagine the other students of minoritized or oppressed identities that have experienced similar things or different things. So I don't know, like it's cool and it's cool to be able to, to be seen. 
for who I am, but it's also like in other instances, in other kind of situations, my university only wants to claim me when it looks good for them. The School of Social Work only wants to claim me when it looks good for them, but not but not when it doesn't or when it's controversial or like when it's not cute to stand on the side of a lot of the issues that I might be a part of or the work that I might be doing in community here in Richmond. So, I mean, you know, I'm indifferent. Um, I'm proud of myself, though. I know that I'm loved and I'm lifted and I'm cared for because folks showed up for me to support me. And so that will always continue to fill my heart and and keep me and keep me going. Keep me going because I do really know how protected and cared for that I am. I really do. I really do. And I and I, and I feel it and I feel it. Um but you know, shout out to me as Issa Wright would say, shout out to me, because, duh, why wouldn't I have been recognized? <laughs> why wouldn't I have been recognized as one of VCU's 10 out of 10 for 2003? So shout out to me. Let's go ahead and transition into our good Black word for the week. All right, so the good Black word for the week has much to do with like these simple truths that I have been sitting with. Um, I would probably say for like the last week, but they really hit me today when I was having my morning practice. And so I make it a point. I work really, really hard to stay disciplined in my practice of yoga, reading and reflection in the morning. What I have been working on this last, this past week have been around like these four simple truths, but the three that I've been sitting with most, you know, most recently have been life is uncomfortable, desires cause discomfort, and it is possible to end discomfort, right? So like when I think about how difficult we make life, for me, those difficulties are associated with desires that are then creating discomfort. Life is already uncomfortable, meaning like pain is all around us. We can't evade it. We can't run from it. Suffering is a thing that we have some greater say and control over, especially internal suffering. A lot of times we can cause a lot of in internal suffering, um, but just that life is uncomfortable in general. So lamest term, shit is just bad. Shit's already bad. So <laughs> life is uncomfortable. And when I think about like how we make life so much more difficult than it actually is to be, is like it's our relationship to desires, right? If it's like this desire to control, desire to be seen, desire to... I don't know. You can just name anything, right? It just desires in general. There's like, we have so many of them and we fail to recognize that we're having them. 
And we fail to recognize the pain, suffering, discomfort they create for us because we cannot actually have them because there's so much that's outside of our control, yet we have a desire to want to control and create situations and scenarios and get people to behave the way we want them to behave, get things to happen the way we want them to happen when that is just not how this shit works. That's just not how this works. You can't make people do things they don't want to do, including young people, right? Like you can't control certain situations and and other people and outcomes, all of these things. There's so much that is outside of our control that then contributes to life being uncomfortable. And then when we have this desire to want to control things that we cannot control, it creates suffering and more discomfort. Hopefully you're sticking with me. Hopefully you're sticking with me because I'm working through it right now with you. And so I've really been working through what desires have I been holding on to that have been causing me like this incredible amount of discomfort. And I know I have been holding on to desires because I can start to feel things in my chest, um, you know, can start to feel more fatigued, um, more withdrawn, all of these things, more lightheaded. So I knew something was up, like I knew something was not right. And so during one of my most recent practices, I decided to ask myself, what is this, like, what's got you feeling like this? What desires are you trying to hold on to that are causing you all of this discomfort, which is going to lead to some more internal suffering that you need to let go of? And I had that conversation. I identified what it was and baby cried on the mat released that shit and left it on the mat and emerged with a feeling of just feeling lighter a feeling lighter because I already know that like shit is bad life is uncomfortable but when I start to hold on to these desires of things that are outside of my control and much of it is like other people and situations and things I gotta find a way to let that go I got to find a way to let that go. And so do a lot of y'all. There's probably so much that you are holding on to, trying to control, that like is causing you a lot of discomfort, causing you a lot of internal suffering. And you may have to figure out what that is. It might be a relationship. It might be a job. It might be some reoccurring thoughts or beliefs or even some values. It might be people. It's something that you're holding on to that is, that is causing an incredible amount of discomfort in your life when life is already hard enough. And that it is possible to end discomfort by just recognizing what those desires might be, acknowledging that they're there, and then working to release them. Like, it's repetitive. You don't just do this shit one time and it gets better. Like, it's deliberate, it's conscious, it's repetitive. It's like, all right, this thing is just coming up for me. I notice something changing within the way I'm thinking, the way I'm feeling, the way I'm relating or behaving to other people in my environment. What's going on? What is this that's bringing about discomfort in my body? 
learn to recognize what that is, acknowledge that it's there because it's likely very normal. So we shouldn't shame ourselves when we have these moments of desire that bring discomfort, but like recognize what that is and then work to release that over and over and over and over again. And just hold on to just these simple truths that life is uncomfortable. Translation, shit is bad. Desires cause discomfort. Translation, you can't control everything and everyone. It is possible to end discomfort. Translation, let that shit go. It sounds simple because it actually is. We make it a part of our life, a part of our daily practice. I just want to encourage folks to do that because we're really out here making things a lot harder than they already need to be. Things are already hard. Think about the ways in which you contribute to things being hard and if that's working out for you or not. I imagine it's not. I imagine it's not. And so that is our good black word for the week. That is the end of the episode for today. Hopefully you got something out of it. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. I don't know. But thank you for listening. (laughs) And we will be, I will be back next week with a guest. Because why not? And will I be back next week or will I be back the week after next? Who knows? It might be a surprise. We'll see. We'll see. I appreciate y'all. Love you deep. As always, please remember to take care of your heart so that we can take care of each other because y'all gonna get this and learn this one day. We are literally all that we have. The people. We. We gotta take care of each other. And the way we take care of each other is to begin taking care of ourselves. And so please take care of your hearts so that we can take care of each other because we are all that we got. And I will talk to y'all when I talk to y'all. Bye.